Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Lung Cancer Voices. This is another of our podcasts where we're reviewing the latest lung cancer research from the big international trials, uh, sorry, the big international conferences. You'll have heard one recently from Singapore, the World Conference on Lung Cancer. Uh, But now uh, we're going to talk about ESMO. ESMO is the European Society of Medical Oncology. It's a huge meeting that happens in some beautiful cities in Europe every year. And really, I've got to start with the disappointing news that I was not there personally. I was um, at home in Ottawa, but one of my guests attended in person in Madrid, and my other guest, uh, like me, did the work online. So to introduce my guests, firstly, Dr. Andrea Fung. Uh, She, like I, was doing this online. Andrea is a PhD in cancer biology from University of Toronto and med school and a medical oncologist. She's now a thoracic medical oncologist uh, in Kingston and on faculty at Queen's University. So Andrea, welcome to the welcome to the pod. Thank um, you so much for having me. And we are joined out west by Dr. Vishal Navani. Vishal uh, and I have some similarities. We've, we've trodden uh, a uh, somewhat similar pathway in our careers. We're both from uh, from the old country, and uh, um, he went to a more prestigious university than me. So he was at University of Oxford, and and then London for medical school, and uh, well, I was at uh, University of St Andrews uh, in in Scotland. Um, and then we both took off to the um, Antipodes. I was in New Zealand, and uh, Dr Navani was in Australia, uh, and we both ended up in Canada. And uh, so Dr. Navani is now a thoracic medical oncologist uh, on faculty at University of Calgary, uh, when he also specializes in lung cancer. And, and Vish had the, had the joy of being in Madrid. So welcome, Dr. Navani. And what did you get up to in Madrid, aside from the conference? Thanks, Paul, for having me. I was following in your very esteemed footsteps all around the world. Um, Madrid was great. My favorite thing, apart from the conference, was having churros at 1 a.m. with my friends from work. And even at 1 a.m., we had like to wait 30 minutes for churros because the line was so long. But um, it was it was worth it. It was the best best fried dough and chocolate I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a I'm an early to bed, early to rise type person. And uh, the first time I went to a conference. In Spain, I was completely lost because I went out for dinner at, you know, seven or eight o'clock and nothing was open and the restaurants didn't open till, you know, half past 10 or something. And I was utterly exhausted and destroyed by the whole experience. Did you have any good paella? I had some very good uh, preserved meats uh, and uh, I didn't try any paella. I'm not a big fan of seafood. But uh, there was a lot of other indulgences to go around. So it was highly recommend. Next year, it, it's in Barcelona. So I'll be, I'll be back there, hopefully, with the, the two of Barcelona. you. Yeah, last year, was, uh, was it in Paris? I think World Conference of Lung Cancer mm-hmm. actually was in, was in Paris last year. So, so for those of you who are listening, if you think that we went into medical oncology to, just to help people, um, actually, we went in for the oncotourism side of things. And <laughs> no, no, just joking. We, but uh, one of the benefits of 
of being in academic medicine is the ability to go to conferences, to present our own research and to learn uh, learn the newest things. And, you know, those often do happen in nice places, which is a, uh, a little bonus for sure. But anyway, we're going to talk about ESMO. And ESMO, the European Society of Medical Oncology, really had some amazing things in lung cancer this year. There was a lot of really big clinical trials that were presented and so what we're going to do is we've, we've each kind of taken one section. And so we'll go through really sort of three, three areas. We'll try and present those to, to, to those of who are listening. So Dr. Navani is going to talk about perioperative immunotherapy, and he'll explain what that is and the trials that were the um, big news. Dr. Fung is going to tell us about a really important study called ALINA, A-L-I-N-A. And then I'm going to touch on a couple of studies uh, with a drug called amivantamab, which is a bit of a mouthful, but there were a couple of really important studies about amivantamab. So we'll kind of go through those in sequence. So Dr. Navani, I'll come to you first in in Calgary there. Tell, tell us the, the studies that you really wanted to highlight. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, so we know that immunotherapy is an active part of lung cancer treatment in the, the late or metastatic setting. And this year was very exciting at ESMO because it saw, saw a number of studies that really confirm its place in early stages of disease, disease which is still uh, attempting, we're attempting to cure uh, with a combination of types of treatment, including medical therapy, uh, immunotherapy, and chemotherapy in, in this context uh, with the help of, of surgery. So we've been using these medical therapies often after the cancer has been removed after surgery and then we use them as an insurance policy you know mopping things up to try and decrease the chance of the cancer coming back but now there have been many studies many studies showing that when chemotherapy and immune therapy are given together uh, they can decrease the chance of the cancer coming back uh, sometimes increase the chance of cure and i'll talk about a bit more about that now just some, maybe some definitions first. You hear a lot of, of these terms used. So when we say the word perioperative, we say peri as an around and an operative operation. So uh, perioperative studies involve giving immune therapy and chemotherapy before surgery and then having surgery and then more immunotherapy after surgery. Neoadjuvant studies, neo meaning before adjuvant meaning to help from the Latin, but, but they all mean before surgery. Uh, and then so chemo and immune therapy before surgery, surgery, and then observation. So there were two studies I'd like to focus on. And I think broadly, we haven't improved the chance of cure in early stage lung cancer for over 30 years. Uh, and I think this was the first time in over 30 years uh, we've we've achieved that uh, as, a, as a community with uh, one of the studies, which was called Keynote 671. So that's a study of an immune therapy that we use a lot in lung cancer, um, pembrolizumab. And that study looked at patients, large, global, multi-center study, eight, about 800 patients that, that were given pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy before surgery. And then they went to surgery, and then they had a year of pembrolizumab after surgery. And they compared them to patients getting just chemotherapy alone, before surgery, then surgery, and then observation. Broadly, the study hit the endpoint. It was positive. It improves not only the chance of the cancer coming back, 
which we knew before from an earlier update, but also the chance of improving overall survival or, or increasing the number of patients cured. Let me just interrupt you there for a second. So when you say that it improved the chances of, or, or reduced the chances of the cancer coming back, number one, and then you said it also improved overall survival. So could you mm -hmm. just explain the difference between those? Because I think a lot of us would think, well, if you're stopping the cancer coming back, of course you're gonna improve survival, yeah. but there's a difference, isn't there? There is. So we know the study improved the chance, decreased the chance of the cancer coming back. And that was based on an earlier update. The thing is, when we give studies in this early setting, when the cancer does come back, these patients are often given the same immunotherapy in the metastatic or advanced stage. Okay. Uh, and so we didn't know that, could we give, the, we didn't know giving the medicine before surgery uh, and trying to get rid of the cancer in that early stage is better than just you know, doing the surgery, getting some chemotherapy. Uh, and then if the cancer comes back, then getting the same medicine in the metastatic setting. So it's and about you, the and you could kind of get medicine. Right. So the idea being that if you, you could not give any of the immunotherapy after surgery and then people where it doesn't come back, that's fine. They haven't needed that extra treatment. But if it did come back, you could kind of catch up by giving the treatment exactly. later. And you're telling and us we that didn't know actually, the and, but it didn't work that way. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't know the answer okay. to that question. Could we right. could we avoid having it early? Just having the immunotherapy early? Is it better than waiting for it to come back and then having the immunotherapy? How do we live the longest in this context? So for this uh, for the keynote six seven one study, pembrolizumab then before and after surgery, how much better was that than people who just had chemo with their surgery? Yeah. So I think broadly, it decreased the chance of dying from a cancer over the over the duration of the follow up period by yeah. about a third, relatively. Wow. So it was a third okay. a third decrease relatively. Um, okay. Uh, and the, you know, um, it, it hit from a statistical point of view, so it met all of the stats things that needed to meet for the study to be called positive. But I think okay. more importantly, or as importantly the difference was meaningful. That difference was clinically meaningful to, to patients and, and physicians alike. What, what, what do you mean clinically meaningful as opposed to the stats? So often things can be positive. A trial can be positive based on a statistical analysis, like the trial met what it hoped to meet when it was designed. But right. often patients don't care about whether they have a few weeks or few months more to live. And that means statistically that that was a tick box that, that met its endpoint. They just want to live, well, patient patient focus groups and patient research tells us they want to live as long as possible, as well as possible. And those lengths of time need to be meaningful, like long. Right. So and I'm in this study, in the in the in the non in the people that didn't get immunotherapy, by about four and a half years, half the people have had their cancer come back or died. Okay. But we didn't even reach a value for the immunotherapy arm. We don't, half of the people hadn't died or had their cancer come back in the okay. other arm. So we're talking so, a long improvement. Really significant, okay. Yeah. So that's 671, but there was another study which kind of looked at the same question, but with a different company. That's exactly right. Yeah, so there's another study uh, called Checkmate 7070. That was another immune therapy drug. This drug was called nivolumab. It's a drug we all use in, in, in lung cancer in the metastatic setting, the stage four setting. And it was a very similar design to Keynote 671. There were a few little differences, but none, none in a huge manner. And this study had shorter follow-up. So we know from this study okay. 
very similar study, giving the immunotherapy with chemo before surgery, having surgery, and then more immunotherapy afterwards, compared to just chemotherapy on its own in, in all of those stages. It decreased the chance of the cancer coming back. We don't know if it improves the chance of improving cure or, or prolonging overall survival, but we haven't followed these patients for as long, so maybe it will. So basically, same approach. We think kind of same results. It's just the study was done a bit later, so we haven't got as much time the, under the, as much time. Yeah, much as time much to follow. Yeah. Follow okay. And we should mention that other companies uh, have similar trials. There's the Aegean study, which is uh, Durvalumab. I think there's one with Atezolizumab. There's a lot of these perioperative studies that are out there, aren't there? Are there, are there any outliers, or are they all kind of showing the same thing? Well, that's what's encouraging. You know, we we all see a very similar magnitude of benefit in all of these drugs and when you compare across trials which you shouldn't do which i get told off for doing all the time but everyone does uh, things are very similar when it comes to the end outcome despite all of the little differences between the studies so i think when we see that as a field we're reassured that really this is probably the way forwards for lots of people that have cancer that can be removed by surgery up front i've got one important question to ask you before we close up this little immunotherapy section, because you'd already mentioned that we know from uh, studies from a couple of years ago that immunotherapy after surgery uh, is effective, so-called adjuvant. That's with the study atezolizumab. We've discussed that in previous podcasts. We've also discussed the neoadjuvant in a previous podcast, Checkmate 816. So we know that giving it before is better. We know that giving it after is better. Now you're telling us about these studies where giving it either side is better, but do we know that you have to do all of it is before and after needed, or do you just need some immunotherapy either before or after, but not necessarily both? Because that's expensive, it's, it's, it's time consuming. Do we know that? Of course. And, and this is the real question. This is the million dollar question in this context. And we haven't done the studies to compare between the, all of those different approaches. So I guess the answer is we don't know. It seems to be that um, as, as the data matures and follows up, uh, we might get some clearer idea of it. Um, right. But right now we don't know how to pick what the best regimen is. Um, personally, if I, if I had this, uh, these diseases, I would want some immunotherapy before surgery, whether I wanted it after surgery as well, depends on how my tumor looks when it's taken out and looked at under a microscope. So to yeah. be continued. A lot of work going on in this because some patients i think would agree with you some patients would say just get it out and then deal with stuff afterwards andrea what are you doing in kingston for, for immunotherapy right now in uh, so yeah that's a great question i i think given all of these recent studies particularly the the checkmate 816 which was looking at the chemotherapy with immunotherapy before surgery in the neoadjuvant yeah. setting. I, I think there's been a lot of excitement in this space. And here in Kingston in particular, we are shifting towards using the neoadjuvant or, or chemoimmunotherapy before surgery for a lot of our patients if they are well enough to go for surgery. That's what we're doing in Ottawa as well. We're doing more neoadjuvant and more of the adjuvant and I should say for people listening in Canada, these perioperative studies that Dr. Navani has been discussing, Keynote 671, Checkmate 7070, I don't know what brain box came up with that title of a study, 7070. <laughs> it doesn't really roll off the tongue. But anyway, 
those studies, Aegean, those are not yet available in Canada. They're not they're not approved or funded, but they'll be working their way through the regulatory regulatory system. Okay, we'll give Dr. Navani a break. Vish, thanks very much for taking us through that. But stick around because I'll ask you for comments on on some of the other stuff. I should just say though that if uh, if Dr. Navani disappears off the middle of the podcast and doesn't return, it's because uh, he and his wife are expecting their second child any day or uh, within the week. So um, if he suddenly disappears, we'll give them both our best wishes from, from the Canadian lung cancer community. Uh, and Vish, we give you, of course, all our best wishes anyway for that. Let's move on to the ALENA study. So completely different type of lung cancer. Dr. Fung, what's going on with that one? Yeah, the ALENA study was actually a very interesting study as well. This is a study also in the early stage lung cancer setting in patients that are eligible for surgery, but it's looking at a very small specific subset of lung cancer patients that have a change in the genes of their cancer, uh, a mutation that we look at called ALK or ALK uh, rearrangement mutation. Typically, ALK rearrangements are, are seen in up to about 5% of non-small cell lung cancer patients. So it's it's a very small subset of our lung cancer patients. But in the advanced setting, the metastatic setting, we have very good targeted therapies that we use routinely for management of ELK positive lung cancer. And this study was really looking at taking one of the more common uh, targeted therapies that we use in the metastatic setting, but now shifting it up into the early stage setting to see if there was benefit. So the ALENA study really looked at early stage non-small cell lung cancer patients with stage 1B to 3A lung cancer, again, ELK positive lung cancer. And these patients underwent surgery upfront for their lung cancer and then were randomly put into one of two groups. And one of the groups was getting this targeted therapy called electinib, which is an oral pill therapy that's taken twice a day and would be taken for up to two years. And the comparison is our standard treatment, which is typically chemotherapy, which we often give after after surgery. And it was four cycles of combination chemotherapy. And this study was really looking at the impact of this targeted therapy to decrease the, the risk of the cancer coming back. So looking at something that we call disease-free survival or how long a patient's living without their cancer recurring. And this was very positive, exciting results. Um, So there was a significant uh, improvement in the disease-free survival. So being on the targeted therapy after surgery actually decreased the risk of the cancer coming back or the risk of recurrence or death from cancer by about 76%, which is huge compared to the chemotherapy arm alone. Yeah. These target therapies are generally pretty well tolerated and, and overall the toxicities were manageable. So it was a very exciting study. There's a previous podcast that we did last year, a series of podcasts with my colleague, Dr. Garth Nicholas. I look at him as my sort of philosopher friend in lung cancer. And last year, people should go back and listen to this. Uh, or if you're on Twitter or X, you should go and look. Last year 2022 every day through lung cancer awareness month he tweeted about uh, lung cancer trials uh, important lung cancer trials 
that we should all be aware of. And it was wonderful story, beautifully written, and he would throw in some Canadian artwork with each one. And he quoted René Descartes, the, uh, the French philosopher who, if my philosophy is not that great, but, but Descartes, who would kind of, <laughs> you know, you can believe what you want type thing, except said, you know, truth is what you, what you choose. I may be getting this completely wrong. But one thing Descartes did say was this idea that some things are clear and distinct. They are so self-evident that you can't really doubt them. And Andrea, I wonder when we look at the Alina results, that it seems to me that of all of the trials we talk about and the ones that Vicious talked about, and that Alina is a clear and distinct answer that there's a massive reduction in the risk of the cancer coming back if you've got an out positive lung cancer, if you get a couple of years of electinid. I mean, it's massive. It's not absolutely there's, there's no it's not a little there. benefit. It, it, it's, it's not a little it's huge. Yeah, it's yeah. significant. Yeah. Yeah. It's very substantial. Um, so is this something that you would, if you could, would you start doing this tomorrow? I mean, I, I do think I would. It's, it's a very significant benefit. Like you mentioned, it's generally well tolerated in terms of, you know, side effects are, are really manageable with this targeted therapy. Well, well on that, what I kind think... of side effects might people get or is it really not difficult? I mean, it's generally pretty well tolerated. We always look at blood tests. We look at liver tests and, and, and other things. Mm -hmm. But overall, compared to chemotherapy, the side effect profile is, is quite manageable. I think the big question that is a little bit different with how this study was designed is, is just the fact that in the patients that got treated with the targeted therapy, they didn't actually get chemo. And, right. you, and I think... That, that's a little bit of a question mark because that is our typical treatment after surgery is to consider offering chemotherapy and then adding something on okay. after the chemo, which, which is a little bit different in terms of the, the way this study was, was done. But uh, regardless, there seems to be quite a substantial benefit here. Yeah. That was going to be my question actually about the chemo is whether you would recommend somebody get chemo as well. That wasn't really how the study was designed, but we know chemo can improve a cure rate and it looks like this will do the same. So would you do both? I mean, obviously I would still follow the way the study was designed. We, we don't yeah. know because, don't know. you know, these patients didn't actually get chemo. They just got the targeted therapy. I think the interesting thing going forwards will be, uh, you know, the longer follow-up that we have, we're following patients and seeing how they're doing over time. I think the longer follow-up that we have, it might be a little bit more clear, you know, once the patients are done their two years of the targeted therapy, what happens at that point in terms of right. rates of cancer coming back. So right. that would be meaningful to see long-term. Right. So like, is the electinib just preventing the cancer coming back while you're taking the drug? Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But there was a similar study, Adora, in yeah. EGFR positive lung cancer, wasn't there? Which was a similar kind of concept. If you've got an EGFR mutation, take osimertinib after surgery. In fact, there those ones that could have had chemo. And again, there was this massive reduction, sort of 75, 80, 85% in some cases, reduction in the risk of it coming back. And with longer time, we do know that that is actually meaning the overall there is overall survival there it's it's not just delaying occurrences it's it seems to be curing people and the cure rate i think is it's about we just learned that 
at ASCO this year is about a 50% reduction in the risk of, of dying of an EGFR lung cancer, which is also massive. Fish, what would you do? Would you, do you believe the lectinib right away? Yeah. I remember a professor of mine told me, you know, when, when we have these curves, these survival curves of these two arms, sometimes drugs are approved and paid for by governments based on curves so close together, as in minimal differences, you can only get a laser pointer through the curves, right, from the back of the room. But with Alina, you could drive... I see a lot of Ford F-150s in Calgary driving around in Western <laughs> Canada, and you could drive like a Ford F-150. Yeah. Other SUVs are available, I should say. So, so I mean, it's a huge <laughs> difference, right? And so, yeah. I, I, I would, I want, I want this for my patients. The one thing is, it's all, uh, the other thing to note is the testing. We don't get that ALK testing done automatically on the oh, tissue okay. in, in in Calgary always, but when the drug becomes approved and paid for, then that'll mandate the lab to do the tests on all of our patients with earlier stage disease. So that's one right. of the hurdles, I think, getting this implemented maybe. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, testing is really cru crucial. In fact, we need to know the ALK and the EGFR and these tests around immunotherapy as well, because we shouldn't be giving the preoperative immunotherapy to people who have ALK or EGFR, because we know it doesn't work really well in, in that group. Exactly. So I think the testing is is going to be coming okay so like it was a really neat conference because you know alina you know this uh podcast sponsored by ford or uh, <laughs> the next try next time we have a study with big things we'll we'll have i don't know uh, nissan or something or mac trucks that was what i've heard you could drive a mac <laughs> truck between those lines <laughs> right anyway, let's move along i just wanted to i'm going to just tell a very brief story about this drug amivantamab and then i'm going to ask you both what your thoughts are so amivantamab is kind of a cool new drug. We call it a bispecific monoclonal antibody. And that means it's got two targets and it targets EGFR, which is one of these more common mutations that we typically see in, in uh, often in people who've not had tobacco exposure. Um, and it also targets a thing called MET. MET, M-E-T, can be a, a, a way that EGFR drugs fail to work. Amivantamab can be given and it can hit both of those um, at the same time. And the other thing about EGFR mutations, so this is there about maybe 15% of lung cancers would have an EGFR mutation, a bit more common if you're in, in say, BC or, or the GTA, but less common if you're in, say, St. John's or, or Quebec City, they have lower rates. Now, we do have previous podcasts about EGFR, so you could go back and check those out. So I, I won't try and bore you with the the science of this, but just briefly, EGFR mutations that are not all the same flavor. There are a couple of really common ones that make up about 90% of EGFR mutations. We, we call those the common mutations. But then of the other 10%, we have a group of, we call atypical mutations, names on the 10. And then there's a specific subgroup that's called exon 20 insertion. And the exon 20 insertion EGFR mutations is a very small section that's maybe three to four percent of EGFR mutations. So it's sort of one percent of lung cancers, but they don't respond typically to the same EGFR inhibitors. But this drug amivantamab seems to work against the common mutations and also specifically this exon 20 insertion. Okay, so that's my EGFR biology lesson. Now, amivantamab, all the trials are based on butterflies. So the first trial was called chrysalis, 
And then the two trials that I'm going to mention are called Papillon, which is French for butterfly, and Mariposa, which is Spanish for butterfly. Uh, so Papillon was a study in this Exxon 20, EGFR Exxon 20 population. So it's a very niche population. But there are support groups out there just for the Exxon 20 group. So if you're listening and you've got an Exxon 20 insertion, there are support groups just for you. You can check, you can probably find them on Google or go to the Lung Cancer Canada website and you can get a link there. Anyway, the trial, Papillon, patients with Exxon 20 insertion, EGFR mutation lung cancer, were split into two groups. Everybody got chemotherapy and then half the group also got amivantamab, which is given intravenously every two weeks. Not the easiest drug. It's got a lot of rash and um, fatigue, but it seemed to be like pretty darn impressive. And we have a thing called a hazard ratio, which uh, I'm not, I always tell people who are guests on my podcast, don't mention hazard ratio. And there I've gone and done it. But hazard ratio is basically a measure of the reduction in risk. So when Dr. Fung mentioned, you know, a 75% reduction in risk with Alina of the cancer coming back with electinib, that equates to a hazard ratio of 0.25. So it's 0.25 over one, it's a 75% reduction. So with Papillon, the hazard ratio was about 0.45. So it's still more than a 50% reduction in the risk of the cancer progressing or dying from the cancer. So amivantamab plus chemo seems to be a really good option. Although there are, there are some side effects of the drug that need managing. That's Papillon. Mariposa is different. Mariposa was looking at the regular EGFR mutations, that 90% of the pie. And the current treatment for regular EGFR lung cancers, as people know who listen to the pod, is osimertinib. And if you were listening to the previous pod we did from the World Conference on Lung Cancer in Singapore, we talked with our guest there about a study called Flora 2, which was osimertinib versus people got osimertinib plus chemo. And there's this debate about, well, the chemo seemed to help, but did it really help an overall survival or did it just sort of delay things? Mariposa was doing a similar kind of test. So it was people got osimertinib or they got amivantinib plus a drug that's similar to osimertinib called lazaritinib, but it's like a cousin of osimertinib. And, and that also showed a nice benefit, Mariposa. So amivantinib plus lazaritinib was better than osimertinib it delayed the progression of the cancer by about eight or nine months. We don't know if it translates to actually people living longer or whether they might have caught up with later therapies. And it does mean coming to the hospital every two weeks for an intravenous treatment versus a pill once a day. So in my mind, Mariposa, positive study, and it helps people to control the cancer for longer, but at what cost uh, in terms of probably a bit more side effects and you're tied to the cancer center for infusions every two weeks. So for some people, that might be worth it. For other people, they might prefer the independence of just having a pill a day. So amivantamab, definitely definitely a drug to, to watch out for. We've known it about it for a couple of years. There was some disappointing news this month, actually, that amivantamab in those Exxon 20 drugs, we were trying to get it approved for a sort of second or third treatment option, but it it didn't get through the uh, funding negotiation stage. So, so amivantamab is in a kind of funny place at the moment with good studies, good results, but difficult to get access. I feel like I rattled through that at, at breakneck speed. Andrea, 
Have you used amilantamab in Kingston in in clinical trials? Have you had any trials open there? No, I personally have not had any patients that have been on amivantamab. Right. I think I worry a little bit about some of the side effects and, and how it's tolerated, especially in combination therapy. Yeah. Yeah, they are developing a newer version of it, which is going to be a subcutaneous injection, which we hope will be a little bit easier to, to manage. Um, it's called ribrevent. My, people might have seen and if if you look if you look things online, its trade name is ribrevent or ribrevent. Doctor Navani, what what have, we we've 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 discussed uh, patients uh, by email about about this drug. What's your uh, experience? So uh, we we've had it in in Calgary. I've, uh, we've had it in a, in Mariposa two clinical trial, which is the same drug in a different context. Uh, that's going to be um, reporting out. It, it's not the easiest. There are infusion reactions, and uh, the, the rash is quite something. It takes takes you to make quick friends with dermatology. That's that's what it what it takes because it, it takes a bit of managing. But it is active, uh, and you know I think in that Exxon Twenty insertion, it's a unmet need. You know yeah. the, the company did a big study in a rare patient population, and that's great. But it's no good having it on the shelf, and, and I think we have to have it in patients, uh, especially with the magnitude of benefit. So hopefully that's not the end of the road for that drug in that rarer population, uh, based on Papillon. In terms of yeah. Mariposa, I share your concerns. You know we've had Osimertinib. In the common EGFR mutation population for a very long time and are all comfortable with it and it is very tolerable. And until we know that it improves the chance of overall survival and not just cancer progression delay, it's going to be a hard sell for people with the toxicities and the intravenous yeah. aspect of that, that therapy. Yeah, I was talking to someone earlier today who's an EGFR positive patient who's been doing really well on osimertinib for actually for a number of years. <laughs> and has been able to travel internationally, has been able to continue working. And we were talking about these studies and they, they were saying, well, look, in, with what they know now, they're very happy having just been on a pill a day and not having been tied to their cancer center. But they also confessed that had they known about combination treatments at the beginning, they may not have felt the same way. They may have said, no, give me, give me the best you've got right away. So it's difficult. It's something we have to figure out. Gosh, look, there, were, uh, there was a lot of other stuff at ESMO, but I think we we should probably wrap it up because we've been chatting for probably 45 minutes or something. But I, I think the, the takeaways from this, uh, perioperative immunotherapy, a number of positive studies, Alina, clear and distinct, amivantamab, looks really promising, with a couple of question marks, I guess, still. But I, maybe I'll just ask you each to give me your sort of final thoughts of, of which which one of these do you think is going to be the, the winner? If you would, you could say you want, which one of these would you want first to be able to prescribe? Would it be perioperative, Alina, or amivantamab? Vish, why don't I come to you first? I know I'm putting um, you on the spot. It's a horrible question. We'd like all of them. Yeah, I'd like, I think I'd like all of them. In, 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 yeah, but I think if I had to, you know, if you, if you push me, um, I think I need a perioperative immunotherapy to increase my chance of cure in the early stage population. Okay. Andrea, what would you say? So that I, I do agree with Dr. Navani. I mean, I mean, I think there's just so much data and it's, it's quite consistent 
with the addition of immunotherapy in the perioperative setting, um, I, I think that's a huge game changer for us. And it's been exciting just to see that we've got so many options now and in terms of talking about early stage lung cancer and, and improvement for our patients there. I, I am biased. So, I mean, Alina, I, I can't get over the magnitude of benefit there. I, yeah. you know, I, I would love to have access to that and, and to be able to treat patients. Uh, obviously it's a very small group of patients, but that, that so, trial was, was very exciting for me. Okay. So I have to decide, do I go with Vishal because we have a shared British Antipodean heritage <laughs> or do I go with Andrea, who's my colleague just down the road here in Ontario, or do I stick with my own one? But Andrea, I'm going to go with you. I think Alina is a game changer and I would start prescribing that tomorrow. The perioperative studies are clearly all positive studies. I'm still a little bit skeptical about whether you need pre and post immunotherapy and whether it's important to get pre or post, but my mind is still a bit made up on or unmade up on whether we need both. But um, those are why we do these podcasts. Those are why we have these conferences. That's why we run these clinical trials to try and figure out what the best treatments are going to be. Um, thank you both so much for joining the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both. For those listening, as ever, if there's been something that you've heard on the podcast that uh, pertains to you or your care, um, please uh, check out the Lung Cancer Canada website for more information or speak to your oncologist if you have questions about that. Um, but otherwise, thank you, uh, Vishal. And thank you, Andrea. Thanks thank for you for me. having us. And thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like, and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer, or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.